This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there and listening around, welcome to episode number 37 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We have a really, really cool episode for you guys this week. But before we get into that, I have to say that our normal co-host, Steve Nassar, was unable to make it, but we have replaced him with a better version. Just kidding, Steve. Mr. Joe Fustola, who has been a regular on the show. What's happening, Joe? Hey, Tucker. Glad to be back, this time as a temporary co-host. Steve wanted us to express his regret for not being able to be here today. But, you know, you get three powerful businessmen with crazy schedules to get them all together at the same time. It's next to impossible. So while we're recording this, he is in a room full of people giving a speech about real estate. And I'm happy to hold the torch. I'm particularly excited that today we have someone on the show who I've known for 100 years, we're friends. We were in the same company when he got his real estate license and I watched him come in and I, and I watched this whole journey, you know, maintaining the brand and building the brand and under-promising and over-delivering. So it's exciting that we got Justin Harnish with us today. Welcome. Yeah, welcome, Thanks, Justin. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Just a little caveat here. I've been pestering Justin for the better part of a couple months to get him on the show. So, you know, I my still being annoying enough, but nice enough to get him on the show. We're pretty good. So thanks for joining us, Justin. I do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. So we've got some questions that we want to talk about, but, but maybe before we get into that, and as Joe alluded to, you know, he's got a, a pretty long history with you in terms of being in the business when you started under the same company and Obviously, people have grown their own ways, which is how business works. But maybe give us a little background on yourself and maybe the Harnish brand and, and how it's become, you know, basically the powerhouse that it is today. Well, I appreciate the compliment there. And I got to say that I've, I've worked at two companies with Joe, not just one. I, oh, uh, wow. I, I started at Coldwell Banker with my mother, Christy, who started in the business 38 years ago. She was Barbara Seal's right hand for 20-something years as Barbara Sue grew that company and ultimately sold it and sold it again and sold it again. It was, as you mentioned, things happen very quickly once something happens. So 15 years ago, 15, 16 years ago, I started, walked in there with my mom and, and Joe and a few people that are still with Joe today. And we were just Christy Harnish real estate specialists, right? I mean, it was just sort of a week brand that was just sort of getting started as far as the brand goes. Built a website, you know, the first website where as RMLS went from a DOS to a Windows system in 2000, 2001. All of those things were happening. And so we started to sort of brand ourselves as independent realtors were just, I think, starting to do. And so after a year with Coldwell Banker, we decided that we would we would go and look at doing something different which was when we joined Realty Trust Group here in Lake Oswego. So Realty Trust had three quarters of the city blanketed and needed a shop in Southwest. So they came to Lake Oswego and we teamed up with them. 
And ultimately, Joe came from Coldwell Banker over to uh, Realty Trust as well and some other great brokers, which helped all of us grow at that time and had a really good year or a good run for years at Realty Trust. So during that period of time at Realty Trust is when we really started to, and I have to give the compliment to Realty Trust for allowing this, they really are good about allowing independent agents grow there and create a brand under their umbrella. And so we branded Harnish Properties and obviously we had to call it Harnish Properties at Realty Trust. But that's when we really started to create our own website, our own marketing, our own, became who we who we ultimately have become. And so I got to give a, a great compliment to, to Brian Pianovi and the group over there that have, that were really, really, really kind enough and, and I think open-minded enough to let us create the brand knowing ultimately that this might happen. Because Brian and I had a conversation about it five years before we actually branched off and created our own company, Harnish Properties. And he was totally with it. And I don't think there's a lot of owners of companies who would who would say, you know, we'd love to see that happen. So that was really cool. But the nice thing about being a Realty Trust and growing still as my own business person and, and my own, you know, my mother was still with me and, and still, you know, she was there for 10 years of this. Having guys like Joe, Pat Kraus and people that are there that are young and industrious people who, I mean, ultimately I remember Joe said to me, and I, I still remember this all the time I think about this, is you didn't go into real estate to work for somebody else. And I remember that conversation and I thought, you know what? And that's when they left and started Soldera. And I thought, all right, that was kind of the wind that I needed to push me to say, hey, you know what? He And so, you know, I got a great, great uh, respect for Joe and those guys for doing it. And they kind of led the way for us to do it. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't realize you guys had that strong of a, a history. I knew you, you had you know, worked together, but you know, maybe you can elaborate on that a little, Joe. Well, you know what's different for Justin is, you know, if Justin was just some guy getting his license going into the business, it's like, hey, learn the business, learn to prospect, do the right things, and do things right. But it's a little bit different because – his mom, Christy, was the LeBron James of real estate at the time, and he was joining that team. So all eyes were on Justin. And, you know, with Lake Oswego, it's a big city but a small town, and there's, you know, gossip and speculation and, you know, the silver spoon concept of, you know, he walked into this business. But, you know, it's interesting. When I went to a high school, I had a lot of guys my age where their parents own companies and I've seen the passing of the torch and there's guys that would take the torch and, and fumble and then there's people that take it and they kind of push back and forth and never really grow it but just maintain and then there's people that you know do a 95 yard run back off of kickoff and score a touchdown and I thought that journey that Christy and Justin have, have put together to continue the business to grow, to continue that brand. I thought it's fabulous because it's not easy to do. And, you know, I got to watch, you know, brand new broker trying to stretch your legs and, and then, you know, learning as you go to now, despite the hundreds and hundreds of people out there that say they're the number one realtor in Oregon, I mean, you can actually absolutely say that and you have the firepower and statistics to back it up so it has been great and you know 
I know that it's going to continue to be successful from this point forward. I, well, and, you, you know what's interesting about that, Joe, is is we were very, very concerned about it when we started because we watched a lot of families try to do this in the Barbara Sue days. Barbara's son and Tony Brambilla's son and, and Tony and different families. I mean, it, and it can be very, very combustible and destroy relationships within families. So we were really nervous about how it was going to work and it ultimately worked. I mean, my mom and I didn't really get along when I was in college, which a lot of people don't know. We haven't had the relationship that we've had. It took her getting breast cancer and me growing up saying, all right, this is something that I need to cultivate and grow with that helped us build the foundation for our relationship today, which is absolutely like two best friends that are in, in business together. You know, I mean, it's, it makes the, we always say it makes the good times better and the bad times easier, you know, because we just get along and, and she's kind of my moral compass and my she just is my motivator, you know, and the, when I'm kicking rocks and because we all do and it's the best thing that I can imagine. But you're exactly right. My journey is not the normal journey of anybody else that starts out in the business. So I have a great respect for guys who just came in, people who just come in and get their license and build themselves into a top producer or even a medium range producer. It's not easy. And I have a lot. I sit down with new agents all the time and tell them I'm not the person to look at. You know, I mean, I stepped into a role that has its own challenges, but at the same time, you know, was very, very different than the normal path of a, I would say, a, a broker who just started and got licensed. I mean, look at P&OB, right? I mean, he's a great story. He was knocking on doors and, and walking neighborhoods and doing all that stuff. I mean, he's, that's pretty cool. You know, you look at that, but. I got to give you props though, because seeing the transformation of people stepping into a family business and then picking up the ball and running to the end zone, I think you did that. And, you know, you had all eyes on you when you first got your license. But the day, and I don't even know if, if you know this, but the day when I like nodded my head and I thought, this guy is going to crush, someone asked you something about the lake. And you said, well, it's 7.1 miles around and there are 660 houses on the lake and there's two bays and three canals. I mean, you knew your shit inside and out. And that's when I knew that you're not riding coattails. You're getting in front of the wagon and pulling it uphill. So that was yeah. a, a pinnacle day. And, you know, well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, it's right now we're all having fun, right? I mean, business is good and homes are selling and there's new starts and we're enjoying ourselves, you know. But what we can't forget is what it was like five years ago when we were all down in the mouth and and doesn't matter how big you are how small you are it hurt and you know i think that the biggest thing that that i can have and i think we all can have today is that time under our belt and behind us and i think in talking about brand building tucker to get back to the conversation is you can't really have a brand if you've only been in business for a couple of years there is nothing nothing more valuable than time and having thousands of transactions under your belt and having to scrape by and do short sales when you didn't want to, but you would because you needed the income and to do all that stuff and be in the highs and be in the lows and see around the corner or be able to now look around the corner to what's coming up, hopefully. I think that's where brand building becomes important because if your brand can remain strong through highs and lows and be constant, that's when people start to respect your brand and to look at it and say, you know what, these people are going to be here. And I find that to be the biggest challenge of today. And I remember this in 2006 and seven, 
when you have a 30 or 40 percent increase in the amount of licensed agents that are out there. I think top producers end up suffering the most. Everybody says, hey, you must be killing it. And yeah, life's good. I'm not going to complain, right? And we're working hard for it. But you have, you know, oh, all of a sudden I'll list with my mother-in-law or my sister or who just got licensed. I'm going to go and work with that person because I just feel like they need to get started. And, you know, hey, I respect that. Everybody's got to have a first day. But I heard something the other day, which I thought was brilliant. For all I know, Joe posted it. But it said, if you think a professional is expensive, wait till you hire an amateur. Right. And I think that is an absolute brilliant statement when it comes to real estate in a hot market. It doesn't matter. I mean, I still go back to this. This is your biggest asset. Right. And you're going to trust it. You should be trusting it to a professional that's tried and true, who gets it, who's done it, who has experience. And yeah, homes might be selling quickly, but that doesn't make the transaction any easier. So I don't know. And I I think that that is the, the foundation for brand awareness is having time and experience. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you know, just a little bit on my story. I mean, I when I got into the business, I literally didn't know one person in real estate, whether it was realtor, lender, builder, whatever, to today. So we all have our different paths. But over that process, I've seen a lot of people come in, you know, to try and build a brand, to try and stake their claim, put their flag up. And you know what? The reality is most of them don't stick. For whatever reason, they can't endure. We were all around through the ups and the downs of early 2000s to 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, all through that, and then now through today. But you know, the reality is, is most people cannot persevere to build that brand and that recognition, which obviously comes with Harnish Properties. It's what I've tried to do. It's what Joe's done. You know, it takes a lot to build that brand and for people to look at it and respect it, and which ultimately is why you guys are so successful today. Yeah, and you got to defend your brand and you have to also perform, right? I mean, if you don't perform and you're not doing what you're doing and you don't say you, you're not performing on your marketing plan and you're not doing what you're doing, you're, you're not going to get the respect. You're not going to get the word of mouth. You're not going to get the things that are important that, that we all need as salespeople. You're not going to get that stuff. So if you don't have a team behind you, which I have to say is my most important asset, then you're not going to succeed because your customers ultimately will will not come back. Yeah, and I think it, you know, the transition from, for you kind of the passing of the torch, it kind of came at a good time too, right? Because, you know, technology jumped into our lives pretty heavily in the early mm-hmm. 2000s. So now, you know, you being the younger generation, we're a little more tech savvy. That's just the reality of our lives. We're a little more in tune with the the new technologies that are out there to communicate with people, show them properties, keep them engaged with us. So it was probably a, a good transition for that as well, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's a very, very important time because my mom is an old school broker. She's face to face. She's fax machine. She's you know, all of those things that we're not today or that we try to be today. I mean, the face to face part of it, I'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, when my mom and I, when we transitioned, we were at Realty Trust, but just about to leave. And we've been our own company for three years, maybe four years. It was a it was a hard conversation to say, hey, you know, with this new change, we're going to need to just sort of you're going to need to step out. And so, you know, through a long conversations and tears, it was she just she's a competitor. She you know she wanted to be there and be a part of it, but you know finally over the last four years, she's a you know she's the best lead generation person I could have. She lives in the desert eight months a year and and she uh, goes on a hike and sends me a listing. You know I mean that's that's what she does and that's her brand. People know her as Christy Harnish and 
she doesn't need to brand herself anymore. She just is, she is the brand. So it's really nice. I'd be a fool to take her off our signs. I mean, it, and our name off our business. So it's very important that she is still around, even if it's not physically. But the other thing that I wanted to talk about, what is what I mentioned is the face-to-face part of the business that comes with the technology age is that that so many of these newer brokers, and I say newer, you know, I've been in the business 15 years, I'm saying in the last couple of years, who rely so heavily on text, who rely so heavily on email, have really, in my opinion, lost sight of the most important part of this business. And that's standing there with somebody, listening to them, showing them property, walking them through And the most important thing in the world, which, Joe, I know you still do, is presenting an offer in person. Mm -hmm. Even when the market's hot, I know we love to just have the easy way out and shoot an email over and send it in. But that is a lost art in this business. And it really is important because think about it as a buyer's agent and as a listing agent, you're representing your clients. And to be able to sit there in front of the seller, which you don't get the opportunity to do except for in this personal experience, to sit there and be able to talk to them and sell them on your buyer, that's representation. And I just don't get today's laziness, and maybe it's the speed of today, maybe laziness isn't the word and the market's hot, so I guess you can do that. And you do need to get it in there quickly in some instances, so it doesn't work all the time. But I just, it just seems to be a lost art. And some of the old schoolers, Joe, that you remember from Coldwell Banker that are still out there working as hard as they can, they still do it. And it's so great to say, all right, thanks for sitting here and listening to me. We've got an offer to present, you know, from Judy Tobolsky or Lenore Carter or something, you know, someone who who the art of the deal is still that way is an absolutely it's a pleasure. I mean, the deals are and they go smoother because there's an open line of communication. So I. I just cannot put that any more bluntly that it is such a lost art and it's such an important part of this business that's that people are forgetting about. I agree. You know, it's the same thing with like, you know, email and phone calls. Well, if you don't want that person on the phone anymore, you hang up. You can't just hang up on someone who's right in front of you. And mm-hmm. if they have a good presentation and a good offer, you can't help to form some kind of a bond. And if you think of efficiency, you know, technology makes everyone so efficient. It's like, well, I don't know anything more efficient than writing an offer once, presenting it in person and getting it accepted versus emailing it over and then your people are 0 for 6 and you're trying to get that 7th. Or there's a, there's a string of there's a string of follow-up questions and follow-up things and then all of a sudden it's gotten lost in the shuffle because you're not there's no connection between your buyer and what they are on paper, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, it's really too bad because to try to describe somebody and sell somebody on paper is darn near impossible. I don't care how good your cover letter is. Yeah, I couldn't agree yeah, more. I mean, the, the secret really to why we're able to buy property in, in such desirable areas that everybody wants at a good price most of the time is because of that. It's the human element, right? You know, mm-hmm. I, I always say this is a people business. Houses are just the product. And so, you know, you got to deal with people. And I and I, I think that's really cool that you guys value that as much as you do. And I think you're right, Justin. It is a lost start. A lot of people have kind of gone the way of removing the human element to some extent or completely. And like you said, you can't quantify somebody on paper from their offer. You know, they might be the greatest people in the world and the seller would very much want to sell to them. But if it's they're just looking at an offer, 
there's nothing else. There's no depth there, right? There's no additional reasons for them to accept other than a number. And, you know, in a competitive market like this, sometimes you got to give people an additional reason to, you know, maybe look further at the offer or even accept it. Mm-hmm. Think of you as a, as a builder, Tucker, what you're doing. I mean, you know, you'd rather, yeah, you're building a product, but at the same time, you're building a product for someone to live in, right? right. You kind of want to know the person that's going to live in there and enjoy it and talk about you down the road and, you know, all those things that come along with being a builder. That's a, that's a very, very personal relationship. Oh, you know, completely. I, I mean, you're there, you're there a lot longer than we are. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, mean, I just went, I met with Mary Spaulding last week up on 10th street and, you know, we spent a 40 minutes together on uh, Wednesday morning or what was it? Monday morning, you know, just walking through her house, looking at everything for the warranty walkthrough, you know, so it's absolutely, that could be, that could go two ways. You could continue to have a great relationship with people, or it could go in an opposite direction and people could be upset about the process or not like you or just not like you, whatever. And then that affects your brand down the way. And so, yeah, it's very important. And she absolutely thinks that you guys are the cat's pajamas. I'm not kidding you. She's just like, they're professional. They're quick. They're on it. They get back to me. The conversations are good. They t- they do what they're going to say. And she is an unbelievably detailed woman and she is incredibly oh, happy. Yeah. And, yeah. But I mean, she called me and said, you cannot believe that. I feel like I'm so well taken care of. Why? Because you're there. Your name's on the sign, right? You walk in the door. I mean, it's just, that's a huge deal for her. So she feels very well taken care of and, and loves that house. Yeah. And she should. It's a great house. Unfortunately, we can't build that plan anymore, but she got the last <laughs> I know. Yeah. And the pricing's a little different these days. The pricing's a little different too, which we talked about. But well, we've been talking about a lot of stuff. Maybe let's knock out just a, a couple of questions here. I don't want us to go too far over the time that we penciled in for you. But, you know, your bread and butter, your wheelhouse is, is kind of the higher end market. Maybe not high, high end, but it, it varies from higher end to high, high end, right? In Portland and Lake Oswego, and, and I don't know, you may have some listings in some surrounding areas or you may have in the past. What do you feel is going on in the higher end market right now? Do you feel any changes? Do you feel it's staying strong? What What's your take on it right now? Well, you know, it's interesting. It depends on how you define high end, too. You know, I mean, there's some people would define high end as over a million. Some would be over a million five and some consider it to be over two million. My opinion is that it's over two million dollars because there's a much smaller pool of people that are buying. But if you look at the statistics, the last few years have been somewhat slowly growing. And then this year, it's significant change. I've got some statistics that I wrote down here. In 2010, in the Portland metro area, 2010, there was 14 sales over 2 million. 11, there was eight sales. 12, there was 18 sales. 13, 22 sales. 14, 28. 2015, 36. So far, in the first quarter of 2016, there's 23 pending and sold. So if you go that times four, are we going to hit 100 over 2 million? I don't know. You know, so I mean, that, that's an interesting statistic, but it has jumped up. And I think a lot of that has to do with the lending environment and the ability to the jumbo products are pretty darn attractive right now. So I think that that drives a lot of it, because if you can spend another $500,000 and have a minimal uptick in price, I mean, it's all relative, then that's pretty attractive. And that's the biggest increase is $2 million to $3 million. If you look over $3 million, you just don't see the growth that the $2 million is seeing. And that is, I'll just quickly go through it. In the sales, in the Portland metro area, $3 million and above, 2010, there was two, and we sold them both. 2011, zero. 2012, there was five. 
13, there was seven, 14, there was five, 15, there was six. I and think in 15, uh, you actually sold one of my buddy's houses, Stephen Lemma. Who, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. This morning, he had, he had another yeah. So we sold three. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. We sold three out of the six in 15. And so far in 2016, there's three pending and four sold. And I'm sure that one of those pendings is going to be under three. One of them is an off the market deal at three and a half million that we have. So the numbers haven't really varied significantly like they have in the two million to three million dollar mark. So we're still Portland. You know, I don't care how great this market is. You know, that three million plus market is typically a waterfront property and or something with acreage. But we are seeing that the interesting statistic is that we're seeing more non-water three millions. One just went pending on 21st in Northwest Portland yesterday, and that was at 3.4 million. We had a couple last year, and there's there's more coming this year. So it's interesting to see that happen because for a long time, that $3 million number almost always had water behind it. Yeah, it's true. Or it, it's got a D in front of it, as in Dunthorpe, potentially. So, you know, that seems to be another yeah. bounce. Yeah, but Dunthorpe hasn't seen uh, threes. There was a four in, in Dunthorpe last year that didn't have water, but Dunthorpe hasn't seen a three, not seeing them as, as frequently as you'd think. Yeah, no, you're right. And the one with a four actually is, the reason I bring it up is because we're actually building, we're going to rebuild our Street of Dreams home on a multi-acre lot there in Dunthorpe. And the one that sold for four is right down the street from where we're building. But yeah, it is interesting. Usually water equates to the higher price tag for sure. And and specifically yep. Lake Oswego water seems to do pretty well <laughs> as and well. If you look at, but even then, if you look at the water statistics on the lake, you know, they're pretty consistent also. There isn't any, hasn't been a, a real major jump it's ridden with the market. I used to say that we average about 35 sales a year on the lake, and that's from zero to nine million nine ninety nine. You know, 2010 there was 21 sales, then 20, 29, then 36, 31, 37, 35. So again, right in the 30s average. I mean, right in the market. It's not like there's, and it's also inventory driven, right? I mean, there just isn't the inventory to purchase and and sell. But, you know, right now we're on pace for 35 to 40, which would be right around the average on, in the lake. But the lake is not, you know, it's a different animal. It, it is, you know, it's 700 something homes and it's, you know, it's just not as big as a market as some would think. Hey, Joe, what did you say earlier that he knows his stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be a pretty good example of that. I love numbers. I love numbers. I love digesting marketplaces. I love looking at, you know, reasons that what drives me crazy is when a broker comes in and, and writes an offer on the lake and it's a price per square foot analysis on the entire lake. You know, it just, you can't, you, you can't do that. You know, so it's, it's really interesting. You've got to take neighborhoods and break them down and compare them against themselves. Yeah. I know that. I know the feeling we got an offer on a pre-construction that somebody tried to do that as well. And they tried to tell me how well they knew Lake Oswego and I had to politely explain to them that they didn't really but it was a nice try so uh, yeah yeah exactly they got to represent their buyer so right exactly i I just want to say one thing one of the questions you gave me is how's the lending component affecting the higher end market currently this i think is is the good and the bad of where we are today because the marketplace is where lenders are a little looser in the jumbo market there's better jumbo products so that's helping the higher end we we still we see a lot of cash at this level too but the other thing that is the biggest challenge is appraisers. And I think this is happening in all marketplaces, but you have these so booked out. I heard that a lender said that there are 16 business days out before a lender can get to the house. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a big lag Which time. is three weeks, right? 
I know. So, and they usually part of the appraisal that walks through the door. It, I mean, the days of the 30 day close right now with the amount that the banks and appraisers are bogged down are absolutely gone. I think that sellers need to get the expectation that, Hey, you know what? There isn't a quick close unless it's cash. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, you're you're fighting to to meet that deadline most of the time, especially with turn times like that on appraisal. So with, you know, we obviously talked about the higher end market in terms of where it's at, what you feel like, you know, is driving it or or helping drive it. What would you say in kind of closing here as we kind of wrap up? What would you say are some of the things about dealing with the higher end market or or being a, a service provider to the higher end market that you love? And maybe what's one thing that you don't love so much about it? You know, kind of pull back the curtain here and, and let people see what's going on there. The thing that I love about the higher end market is, number one, the homes and the locations are usually dynamite. I mean, it's really a it's a beautiful home. It's fun to be on the lake. It's fun to be on the river and acreage. I mean, it's it's fun. It's It's challenging and it's expensive because you spend a lot of time and money on that. But that's part of the deal. I find that the biggest challenge is setting the expectation for that matter, the countrywide marketplace. Yeah, you know, around $500,000, absolutely it's red hot, but around 2 million, it is strong. But you have to set the expectation that the shelf life of these listings isn't two or three months. And there is that story of in every neighborhood where the pocket listing sold or the, the house sold very quickly, and every neighborhood has that. But I think that generally the, the expectations need to be set that it's gonna be time. And you've got to find that right buyer and there's going to be competition price accordingly in order to get sold. So basically the, the challenge of the higher end market, what you're telling me, is that it's just setting expectations with people, right? Because everybody sees, you know, these maybe slightly lower end properties, well, we won't say low end, but slightly lesser expensive. And they're selling with 10 offers in, in a day or two. And so it's setting that expectation for those higher price points so that people don't feel like that's going to be the same all the way through up to, you know, three, four, five million dollars, two million dollars, whatever it is, right? Exactly. It's just management of expectations and making sure that everybody understands that the shelf life of a listing that's two million dollars or more or a million and eight, you know, or more is long term typically. And there's a story in every neighborhood that something sold as a pocket listing or something sold that it just hit the market or something might have had a couple of offers. But those are rare, and yes, we all love them, and we love to have them in every neighborhood because they help prop up the neighborhood and the values. But at the same time, you got to set the expectation that time is going to be, you know, part of the equation. Yeah, for sure. Before we wrap up, one last thing: this year's Street of Dreams. Are you very familiar with the project? I've been up there a couple times. Yeah, yeah. It, obviously, last year you guys were really intimately involved. This year, are you guys as involved? Or are you just kind of looking at it from a, a cheerleader at this point or a bystander? We're, we're gonna we're gonna take the spectators' view this year. But last year we it was fun. You know, last year was one of the most successful in the history, and it, we loved it. We had a blast. It was we had great weather. We had a great show. We're almost sold out. We've got one house to go, but now we're starting the rest of the development, and those are getting a lot of attention. So that's really doing well up there at Highlands. But we're not going to take an active uh, role in this one, and we hope they succeed. I mean, it's always a question is whether or not they're going to make it to the end. But I think those guys know what they're doing, and I think they'll make it. But it looks like a beautiful show. I hope it. I hope it's successful. Yeah, it, it really does. It's high dollar. They, uh, <laughs> the dollars always seem to get pushed, which I'm sure you know. We start off with one idea of what things are going to sell for, and then what they end up being in July is totally different than what they were in December. So. <laughs> We'll yeah, the hard part, you know, the thing that makes me nervous is is you look at how many $3 million sales there are in the Portland metro area over a year's time, and then you put a whole bunch next to each other. 
it makes me a little bit nervous. But a pretty unique subdivision. It's going to be cool. I'm excited to see. Yeah, it. it uh, I, I agree with you on the numbers there. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, hey, um, I want to thank you for jumping on. We're we're over time. I don't want to take any more of your time. Appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. Joe, I appreciate you standing in and being a co-host. You did a fantastic job, as well yep. as Justin did a great job on the other side of the mic. So I appreciate both of you guys coming on today. You betcha. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, Justin, See one last job. thing. If, if people want to yep. get a hold of you, you know, for whatever reason, listing their home, maybe getting consultation, talking about the market, if they live in Lake Oswego, surrounding areas, what's the best way for them to get a, get a hold of you or look you up? HarnishProperties.com. We're always here and willing to help. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes and appreciate your time. And I think we had a great talk. All right. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.